Welcome back to the Word Encounter, episode 194. We're in the book of Mark, and we finished chapter 6 yesterday. Let's pick it up in chapter 7. The word, the word says the traditions of the elders. And um, we covered this information in um, uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 1 through 20, which is in episode uh, 184 of the Word Encounter. So if you want the, uh, want the details, go back into uh, episode 184. Um, and basically, in this particular chapter, it talks about the ceremonial washing of hands. Uh, and so, you know, the, 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 the Pharisees are questioning Jesus' disciples with regard to how come you don't wash your hands, the ceremonial washing your hands before you eat. And, um, and Jesus goes on to explain to them that defilement does not come uh, from food, uh, from your hands being clean and, and food going into your mouth. That's not where defilement comes from. Defilement comes from the heart. And then out of the heart, uh, the mouth speaks, and that's where the evilness comes from, from the heart. And so he's, he's telling them, you're pay, paying attention to the small things because you don't understand what the deal is. And so um, let's drop down to uh, verse what? We're going to drop down here to verse 24. It says, uh, a Gentile mother's faith. And um, we covered this in Matthew uh, chapter 15, verses 21 through 29. This is in episode 184, and so the details are there. And then uh, I would say the key verse uh, in this particular key verses in this particular scripture um, have to do with um, uh, the woman coming forward, and uh, uh, her 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 child is very ill, and she's begging Jesus to help her. And then Jesus says in verse 27, He said to her, "Let the children be fed first. Uh, he's talking about the children of Israel. He's talking about Jews, basically. He says, they, I came to feed them first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, that sounds kind of harsh. I've already commented on this. It sounds kind of harsh with regard to uh, Jesus' uh, illustrating or illustration uh, when, he's ta- when he's talking about dogs eating uh, from the children's table. It says in verse 28, but she replied to him, uh, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And so Jesus was kind of astounded by this response. And he told her, because of this reply, because of how you replied, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And her daughter uh, was uh, healed from that moment forward. Um, The next thing says, Jesus does everything well. In verse 31, again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by the way of Sidon, uh, to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. And so what we find a lot in Scripture is that people, these are good friends, right? They hear about a healing, and they know they have a friend that, that's ill. They're taking him to Jesus. Come on, let's go get you well. So he took him away from the crowd in private. So Jesus took the ill man away from the crowd in private. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. That seems to be weird, right? Jesus put his finger in his ear, you know. Oh, excuse me, not in his ear. Jesus put his finger in the man's ear, okay. Then I guess he spat, and then he put his other finger, I guess, on his tongue. Or maybe it was the same hand, I don't know. And, uh, and then he put his uh, uh, other finger on the man's tongue. And it says, looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, uh, Ifafala, or I should say, Ifafatha. Yeah, I think that's how you pronounce it. Ifafatha. That is, be opened. Immediately, his ears 
uh, were open, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. So he healed this man. So he, Jesus had a process. He went through this process, and he healed this man. Let's go on to chapter 8. And it says, feeding the 4,000, and we covered this in Matthew chapter 15, verses 32 through 39, episode again, 184. And so the details are there. Basically, Jesus, uh, uh, after he's through preaching, he feels compassion for the people. They don't have anything to eat. He tells the disciple, feed them. They say, how are we going to feed them? We only have some bread and a little fish. And he blesses it, and the food multiplies. And it says that everybody ate until they were satisfied. And so this was a miracle. It goes on, verse 11, it says, the leaven of the Pharisees inherit. And so Jesus is going to warn his disciples, but they get confused here. So we covered this in Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. This is in episode 185 of the Word Encounter. So again, the details can be found there if you're so inclined. It says, um, uh, the disciples, when Jesus is talking to him about beware of the bread and the leaven of the Pharisees, the disciples think he's talking about food. He's, he's talking about real bread. And so they get confused because they think he's talking about real bread. And so Jesus sometimes uh, get a little bit, gets a little bit exasperated with his disciples. He says in verse 18, do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? He said, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about beware of that. You were with me when we, when we multiplied the food. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the yeast or the leaven from the Pharisees. Beware of what they're teaching. Beware of what they're saying. Beware that it doesn't spread. Beware that you don't take in what it is that they're trying to get across. He's warning them of, of, of the Pharisees, and they were confused thinking he's talking about food. And then it says, uh, healing a blind man in chapter 20, excuse me, in verse 22. It says, they came to uh, Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man, uh, yeah, he took the blind man by the hand and brought him out to the village, brought him out of the village. Another process of Jesus, spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people, they look like walking trees. So he is having his sight restored, right? He saw nothing before. Now he sees people, but they look like walking trees. In verse 25, again, Jesus placed his hand on the man's eyes. The man looked uh, intently and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. What can we say here? Sometimes we need to be touched a couple times by Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes one time is not enough. I would, I would even go on to say most times we need to be touched multiple times by Jesus because a lot of what he does in our life has to do with our cooperation with him. And sometimes we don't cooperate initially. Sometimes we don't cooperate, you know, uh, uh, right off the bat. Sometimes it takes a few times, you know, a few whacks at it. And so sometimes we have to be touched by Jesus numerous times in order to see the breakthrough. <clears throat> Verse 27, it says, Peter's confession of the Messiah. And so we covered this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 20. This is again in episode 185. And there are more details in the accounting in Matthew than there are in Mark here. And so, um, uh, so, uh, so you know, Jesus essentially uh, asks 
uh, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And so he tells uh, Peter, you know, on this rock, I will build my church and, and so on and so forth. And so, um, uh, so this is kind of the foundational scripture that a lot of churches use with regard to their ministries. And, and sometimes I think uh, that particular saying had multiple meanings, not just one meaning with regard to on this rock, I will build my church. I think the main meaning Jesus meant is that on this revelation that you just spoke, Peter, that I am the Messiah on this truth, I will build my church. That's what I think the main meaning is. But there are certainly some parallel meanings that where it could uh, point to other things. <clears throat> Verse 31 says his death and resurrection predicted. And so we covered this in Matthew 16, verses 21 uh, through 23, again found in episode 185. And so in this particular scripture, um, <clears throat> Jesus is talking about what is going to happen to him, how he will be led away, and how he will be crucified and died and risen on the third day and whatnot. And Peter said, uh-uh, I'm not having none of this, Lord. Nothing's going to happen to you, whatever. And the key verse here is when um, Jesus tells um, Peter to get behind me. You know, <laughs> He says, but turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's uh, concerns, but human concerns. See, and, and so was he speaking to Satan or what? I mean, to Peter or was uh, was Satan using pe uh, Peter to speak his words? And he was speaking to the spirit of Satan that was manifesting through Peter. And so he says, get behind me, Satan. I don't think he was calling Peter Satan. I think he would because the word says that we were not against flesh and blood, but against uh, uh, principalities and in, in, in the spiritual realm. And so I think Peter was talking to the spirits that were speaking through Peter when he said, no, 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 get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking about, you know, the concerns of God, but the concerns of man. Next section says, take up your cross in verse 34. And we covered this in Matthew chapter 16, uh, 16 verses 24 through 28 in episode 185. And there is a slight difference here in Mark's account than what appears in Matthew. Let's drop down to verse 38. And so, uh, well, let, let's, let's, let's go back. It says, calling the crowd, this is verse 34, calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now, let him de deny himself. What does that mean? Does that mean that, that we're to deny ourselves of everything? No. It, I think it means, there's a very strong indication that it means <clears throat> anything that you desire and we all have them, that are not consistent with the things of God. Again, I said we all have them. Anything that we desire that is not in congruence with the things of God. What Jesus is saying is don't partake in those things. Deny yourself the pleasure of those things. See, if it's something that is unrighteous, see, <clears throat> Sin and unrighteousness and unrighteousness and all that is a temptation because there is pleasure in it. If there was no pleasure in it, it wouldn't be a temptation, right? You know, you aren't tempted by things that aren't pleasurable, but not everything that's pleasurable is of God. There are things that are pleasurable that are not of God. 
And so I believe this word is saying, it says, when it says, let him deny himself, those things that you may find pleasurable, those things that you may want to do, those things that you may want to say, those things that you may want to be, you know, if they're not in congruence with the things of God, if, if they are anti the kingdom of God, then the word is saying, show some discipline and deny yourself those things. So let him deny himself, take up his cross, take up his burdens, you know, and follow me. And then it says in verse 38, for this is what it does not say in Matthew. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, this is Jesus talking, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation. Now, he said this 2,000 years ago. That same thing exists in spades today. Why in spades? Because there are a lot more people in the world today than there were 2,000 years ago. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you're ashamed of me and you don't speak up for me and, you know, publicly and, 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 and try to hide the fact that you follow me and, and try to hide the fact that you are committed to me, you know, in public, if you do these, uh, do these things so that other people can't accuse you of being a Christ-like one, you know, if you do these things, Jesus is saying, when I come, I won't know you. You know, if you've been ashamed of me in public, I'm going to be ashamed of you before my father and the holy angels. Do you want to risk that? And again, this does not mean trying to shove Jesus down people's throats, right? Because the word is very clear. You present the gospel to folks and they have an opportunity. If they want to know more, go, go for it. If, if they don't, the word says shake the dust off your shoes and keep on strutting. You know, you don't camp down and then try to force something down the throat of somebody who's not, uh, who doesn't want to participate. No. A lot of Christians do that. No, that's not right. That's not biblical. <clears throat> Let's go on to chapter 9. Chapter 9, uh, Jesus, truly I tell you, uh, there are, some stand, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. And so uh, we went over this in Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 28, episode 185. And so it is believed very strongly that this is in reference to uh, the transfiguration. And so Jesus is telling his disciples uh, that are standing there amongst him, says, you're not going to taste, some of you are not going to taste death before you see the kingdom of God in power, come in power. And so right after that, the next section is about the transfiguration. Uh, and so it kind of stands to reason that that's what he was referring to. And so we're in chapter 9 and verse 2. Uh, we covered this in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13, in episode 185. It talks about the transfiguration when Jesus took Peter, James, and John uh, up uh, on the mountaintop. And he was transfigured, again, tra uh, transfiguration, meaning he was uh, converted into something uh, more uh, holy and more righteous, more radiant, more beautiful, right before their eyes. So they saw this uh, transfiguration, you know, this transformation from a human-looking Jesus into this brilliant, radiant, angelic-looking being thing. 
you know. And then there he was joined by Elijah and Moses, and the uh, the three disciples witnessed all of this stuff going on. And it said, I think the key verse says in verse seven, a cloud appeared overshadowing overshadowing them, uh, and a voice came uh, from the cloud, "This is my beloved son. Listen to him." Can you imagine they're standing there seeing Jesus uh, transform into this radiant, beautiful, uh, beautiful thing and then hearing this voice from heaven? I happen to think it was kind of a booming voice. I don't know if that's true or not, but they heard this audible voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And it was a commandment from God. This is who he is. Listen to him. And so we go on. In verse 14, it says, the power of faith over a demon. And we cover this in uh, Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 20 in episode 185. However, it's slightly different and a little bit more detailed here in Mark. Okay. And so the accounting is slightly different here. And so we're going to go over this thing. In verse 14, it says, when they, came to, uh, when they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. So the whole uh, crowd, they were apparently in arguments or disputes uh, with the scribes and Pharisees. They saw Jesus and his crew coming. And so when the crowd saw them, they ran towards him. <clears throat> he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? as if he didn't already know. Verse 17, someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. He was a spirit. uh, He was a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Wait a minute. Let me back up. Yeah. Okay. Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. Um, He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, you unbelieving generation. <laughs> He's talking to his disciples. How long will I be with you? How long must uh, I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the, threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. So Jesus must have been kind of amazed at what he saw, right? And he said, the father says, from, tri- uh, from childhood. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, says the father, have compassion on us and help us. So Jesus replies, if you can. <laughs> so he's like, Jesus was a little indignant at, at the father saying, if you can do anything, please help me. So Jesus says, you know, if I can, you know, he says, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. <laughs> so, so the father tells Jesus, I do believe. Oh, maybe I don't. Help my unbelief. So he says in the same sentence, I believe, but help me to believe. That's, that's a very human thing to do. It says, Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. See, a lot of times we will pray for things for a, re- uh, for a resolution to something, right? We want something resolved, but we don't complete the task. And, you know, we don't want it just uh, resolved. We want it resolved and for it to never return. 
you know. And so, in other words, we might have a financial issue that, and we have an obstacle coming up. We just don't want to overcome the obstacle. We want to overcome the obstacle, but to never be in that situation again. You know, and so when we're in our uh, prayer closets and whatnot, uh, complete your prayer, you know, the whole thing, do the whole thing. Not only help me with this situation, but help me not enter this situation ever again. In verse 26, it says, then the spirit came out shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The ball became the ball. The boy became like a corpse uh, so that many said he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him and he stood up. After he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive out this spirit? I would ask the same question. You know, if I'm over there laboring, you know, trying to uh, have this deliverance take place and it didn't work, and then somebody comes along and makes it work, and I said, well, how come I couldn't do it? Why didn't it work when I was doing it? And then Jesus gives him some, um, gives him some insight. He says, and he told him, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. In some other accounts, it says uh, this kind can only come up by prayer and fasting. This kind. What kind? I'm not sure. But apparently, this was like a stronghold. This was kind of a strong demonic influence. And so apparently, this kind needed more than just the typical uh, deliverance type of activity. This, this needed something greater than that, apparently. And so he told them this kind can only come out by nothing but prayer. The second prediction of Jesus' death. So Jesus is telling, so we, we covered this before again. So Jesus is uh, telling his disciples, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after he is killed, he will uh, rise in three days. But they did not understand this statement and they were afraid to ask him. And so Jesus ends up warning them like three, I think it was three times. This is the second time he's warning them with regard to what's going to happen to him. And they're not, they're not getting the picture. So he, he's like feeding them, uh, you know, the fulfillment of prophecy. They don't, they're not making the connection, but he's, he's feeding them what's going to happen to him and, um, in the coming days. Then it says, verse 33, who's the greatest? And we covered this in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 5 in episode 186. And essentially, this is about Jesus teaching them that the greatest amongst you will in fact be the least amongst you, that the greatest amongst you will in fact serve the other ones. And so he's flipping upside down this concept of what it means to be great and a leader. See, it's not that you preside over people, it's that you serve people. And in serving people, you become the greatest and you become the leader. A concept that was very, very foreign. And so, um, so he went on to explain that. Uh, in verse 38, it says, In his name, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Jesus, we saw somebody doing works in your name, but he's not one of us, so we tried to stop him. Because you got to be one of us to be doing this stuff. Jesus had to correct them. In verse 39, he says, don't stop them. Because there is no one who would perform a miracle in my name who can, who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. Jesus is saying, look, nobody can do stuff in my name who will then follow it up by speaking evil of me. And so when they do things in my name, performing these miracles in my name, they are in fact doing my work. 
In verse 40, it says, for whoever is not against us is for us. See, you're seeing things from a humanistic perspective. You're seeing that this dude is not on our team. He's not with us. Therefore, he shouldn't be doing this stuff. Jesus is saying, "Uh, uh, uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no. If he's doing things correctly, if he's doing things in my name and driving out demonic spirits and whatnot, then he's not against us. He, in fact, is for us. Then it says in verse 41, And whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. So he's trying to educate them on what it is to be extended extended beyond the immediate team and the immediate disciples, how this thing is to spread. Then it says in verse 42, warnings from Jesus. And we see that... um, We covered this in Matthew chapter 16, verses 6 through 9 in episode 186. And uh, the warnings include uh, causing children to fall away. He says, woe to the one who causes one of these little ones uh, to fall away from me. And uh, he talks about it's better for you to to cut off your hand or foot or, or gouge your eye out if it causes you to sin. But there are additional details here in Mark that aren't in Matthew. So we're going to go down to verse 48, and we're going to cover these additional uh, details that you won't find in the book of Matthew. It says, let me back up. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out, it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and, and be thrown into hell. Verse 48, here's the difference. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now to the Jews, what this meant The worm is internal pain, and fire represents external pain. And so Jesus is saying, uh, if your eye causes you to sin, it is better um, uh, for you to gouge it out than to go into hell where uh, the worm does not die. In other words, where you will have eternal internal pain, and the fire is not quenched, and external eternal pain. The fire never goes out. You never come out of external pain and the worm in you never dies. You never come out of internal pain. And so you are in eternal, internal and external pain. And so obviously there's a, you know, there's a movement where people are saying, well, hell is kind of a a figurative place. It's not a real place. But apparently here, Jesus is confirming that, no, this is a real place (laughs) and it's an eternal place. And then he says in verse 48, For everyone will be salted with fire. And it says salt is good, but if the salt uh, should lose its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt amongst yourself and be at peace with one another. And so salt is a flavor enhancer, right? But it's also a preservative. And so what Jesus is saying is when he says that um, for everyone will be salted with fire, he says salt is good. But if the salt should lose its flavor, how can it? Uh, how can you reseason it? How can you make it salty again? This is kind of analogy, uh, analogous to saying, look, salt uh, makes you kind of spicy. See, <laughs> it makes you spicy. It makes you good for something. See, it makes you good for flavoring things. You know, you're out to flavor the world with me. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. You're to flavor the world with me to go out and spread my gospel. See. And it says, if you lose that, if you lose that saltiness, you know, how can you get on fire again? How can you, you know, reflavor it? So he said, don't, don't lose that saltiness. You know, stay on fire with me. 
You know, stay, stay feisty with me so that you will have the ability, the motivation, and the drive to do what I call you to do. And so that's what he's saying about the salt losing its saltiness. But it, uh, lastly, he says, he says, have salt amongst yourself. You know, stay feisty, stay spicy, you know, stay committed to the task at hand. And he says, and be at peace with one another. So again, salt is a preservative. A preservative. In other words, preserve your relationships. Be at peace with one another. Don't be at war fighting against each other. You know, he's talking to his followers. He's talking to the church. Be at peace with one another. Preserve relationships so we can go out and do this battle. And with that, we are done for today. We'll pick it up in Mark chapter 10 tomorrow. And the invitation is always extended with regard to allowing Jesus to come into your life, into your heart, and to be Lord of your life. For Paul says in chapter 10 of Romans that uh, the message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. And the word says that if you believe in your heart, sincerely believe in your heart and confess in your mouth, confess with your mouth that Jesus is in fact Lord, then you shall be saved and you shall not be put to shame. And with that, we'll pick it up tomorrow, Lord willing. Chapter 10, yeah, chapter 10 of Mark. Everybody be blessed, stay safe, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Bye-bye.